When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. One of the frustrating things for me as a consumer of news is that when you see a lot of news stories about a lot of legal issues, particularly if there's a political bent to them, as so many of the stories involving President Trump happen to have, uh, or President Biden for that matter, it seems so difficult to actually get straight legal analysis. Instead, we often get political commentary disguised as legal analysis. What we've done today is we have assembled a collection of four of the brightest legal minds in all the country that are willing to be awake at this time. And we're going to try and separate fact from fiction, hyperbole from history, and actually get our heads around what's happening in this country legally, particularly as it relates to the uh, raid at Mar-a-Lago and what the legal implications of uh, of that raid are. Here is a solemn promise. I will tell you that uh, after... An hour from now, you will be better educated and have a more thorough understanding about what's happening in the law and what's happening in the news than you do right now. Let me first welcome our East Coast uh, judge, Judge Phillips Trenary, retired supervising judge of the New York City Civil Court in Richmond County. He was also uh, an acting state Supreme Court justice. He's also the author of Filing and Winning Small Claims for Dummies. Judge Trenary, it is great to see you. How are you? Good being here with you this evening. Uh, I'm usually listening to you after I wake up from my pre, <laughs> pre-sleep nap before I go back to bed. I give you a lot of credit. I reached out to a lot of New York retired ju- judges that were at that Yankee-Met game today, and uh, all of them said, nah, it's after the game. I don't really want to come in at 1 a.m. You were the one that had the gumption to come in, so thank you. Well, you seem to be having so much fun doing this. I figure I got to come. Exactly. In You'll see. You'll see how fun it is. Let me also welcome uh, Judge Jim Gray, the former presiding judge of the Superior Court of Orange County, California, former libertarian candidate for vice president and an author of several books, also pretty accomplished playwright. Judge Gray, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Frank. I'd say good good morning, but it's actually still good evening in California. It's well, always good to be with good people. I guess that's why we had a much easier time getting uh, Pacific time zone judges than East Coast time zone judges. Let me also welcome Judge uh, Herb Dodell, the host of the radio show For the People, a uh, California Superior Court judge pro tem and author of the book From the Trench to the Bench, Navigating the Legal System and Finding Your Spiritual Path Along the Way. Judge Dodell, it's great to talk with you. Thank you, Frank. Nice to be with you again as well. And it is uh, a real pleasure to welcome for the first time Judge Ladoris Hazard Cordell, someone who's incredibly accomplished, someone who was not only the first female African-American judge in Northern California and the first female African-American Superior Court judge in Santa Clara, California. She's a retired judge of the Superior Court in California, former independent police auditor for the city of San Jose and a and former assistant dean at Stanford Law School. And uh, Judge Cordell, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Frank. Uh, being the only woman of your four judge guests, I will tell you, I will definitely hold my own. <laughs> of that, I have no doubt. Of that, I have no doubt. All right. Uh, so we have Judge Trenary here, Judge Dodell, uh, Judge Cordell, and Judge Gray. 
Uh, the big story that everyone's talking about in legal story, in legal circles, in political story, in political circles, happens to be this uh, this Trump investigation, which every day it seems like there's more news on this. The news came out yesterday that uh, President Trump and his legal team is pushing for a special master to be appointed to review some of the evidence involved here. Uh, Adam Schiff, who is uh, a Californian, like three of the judges that are joining us this hour, he had this to say on the request for a special master. This is very serious business when uh, documents have those markings. It generally indicates that the source of information is very sensitive. How did the FBI justify raiding Malargo and spending nine hours in the president's house? The affidavit's going to have them tell publicly now what they told the court they were going to go find. Uh, so that was Adam Schiff on one of the cable news shows. I've sort of lost track on uh, who's appearing where. Uh, let me begin with you, Judge Drenary. Uh, uh, that's the East Coast in-studio privilege that we'll give you. There seem to be sort of two aspects that uh, people are worked up about this investigation. The fact that a former president and future presidential uh, candidate's house could be raided to begin with, but also the manner in which the FBI has handled this. What's your take, and where do you see this investigation going? So, so first of all, language is important, right? So if you're a Trump supporter, almost everybody calls it a raid. If you're not a Trump supporter, you call it execution of a search warrant. <laughs> so um, I think that's one of the first things that we have to look at. Um, I, 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 every once in a while, I have to check my constitution, to make sure it doesn't say, except for, vice, for Donald Trump in it, because you get the feeling sometimes that there's a uh, that Donald Trump does not have the same rights as other people. I'm not saying what happened here does or does not, but anything he does seems to be questioned, investigated, and whether he should be or not is a different issue. But um, the There's many, many, many legal issues involved in this. Uh, as I read this, this, the press uh, on it, it, it seems to me you get um, into it, what are the facts and what aren't the facts. What, was, was his team cooperating or they weren't cooperating? That's not shouldn't be in dispute. Either you were or you weren't. Um, and with a lot of the, these type of cases, it, especially in the media, that's what we get. Now, as a judge, sometimes you'll listen to a, a case and you'll say, boy, I just heard the plaintiff's case. Why is the defendant even bothering to waste his time, right? You know, and then the media will put, mm-hmm. or someone put forth that narrative. Well, we're supposed to hear both sides. And, and and you don't make a decision until you hear both sides. So I, I think he his team taking some of these issues into back into the court system and having a special master maybe we'll clear up some of the ambiguities that we're getting and the spinning that uh, everybody wants to put on it. Uh, Judge Gray, one of the things that we were hearing a great deal from the pro-Trump crowd in the aftermath of the search warrant being unsealed was, oh, the search warrant's not good enough. We have to see the affidavit. It does appear that the judge in this case does want uh, the affidavit to to be revealed, and he doesn't want it to be redacted to the point that we don't get much information out of it. How significant will the affidavit being revealed here be in terms of having a fuller understanding of what's happening with this case? Frank, it's really quite significant. It's also rather unprecedented or certainly unusual to release an affidavit at this point. But obviously, everybody knows what's going on now. And the more clarity we can get for everyone, the better. So I think all things being equal, it should be released. And in Unless it's really going to harm an investigation or put people's lives at risk, it should be pretty much unredacted. By the way, you know, it's just easy to demagogue these things, but we need to slow down and to make sure that we understand the facts because I'm I'm sorry to be so blunt, but life is complicated. Uh, Again, I'm sorry to be so blunt, but it's true. And, And the FBI through all of this, it really disturbs me. The FBI must not only be totally divorced from politics and coercion and taking sides, but but it also must be seen as being neutral. And and they're under attack, and that concerns me deeply. Uh, Judge Cordell, do you think any of the criticism of the either the FBI or the Department of Justice in the execution of this search warrant is warranted? Uh, 
with the little that we know, I believe it is it is not warranted the criticism of the FBI and of the Justice Department. What what I'm concerned about is that we're, we're really not looking at what's happening here. This is the first time that the Trump folks have even weighed in at all, and this search happened a few weeks ago. So what we end up with, people saying, well, this is an unprecedented search. Well, this was an unprecedented presidency, um, and that's why this search even happened. Um, the, Trump, the Trump people and the lawyers, they are masters at, at distraction and delay, and that's really what this is. They chose to file in a federal court that was almost 70 miles away when there's a federal court nearby Mar-a-Lago. Why? Because the judge at 70 miles away was a, is a Trump appointee, Eileen Cannon. So th this is just judge shopping. It is delay. Uh, the magistrate who has this case is going to determine what in this affidavit, if anything, can be revealed. And I, I stress, I during my nearly 20 years on the bench, and again, I'm not a federal judge, but the rules are basically the same. I had to, to sign off on search warrants and on arrest warrants. And it's the affidavit that has everything and all the information in it. And normally we wouldn't be concerned. But the subject matter of this is confidential, top secret information. So to say that, oh, the affidavit should just everybody should read it. No, uh, redactions are going to be necessary. And I really question whether or not it can be opened at all only because there are threats going around and people who are giving information in support of this affidavit are concerned about their own safety. Uh, Judge Dodell, where do you see this going from here? How, where do you see an investigation going? Do you think indictments might be likely, including possibly for former President Trump? Well, if you look at the Presidential Records Act, it tells you what the president, a former president, can do and cannot do. And as the other, my colleagues have said, a lot of this is really going to be debated and litigated. And it's probably true that the Trump people do do what she said they do do. But every litigant does that. And the reality is I think it will make no difference ultimately what's released and what's not released because it's really a political issue. I think ultimately the affidavit is the affidavit. It was signed off by a legitimate judiciary officer, and if the affidavit meets the requirements of probable cause and the other elements that are necessary to get a warrant issued, then so be it. We'll find out later. I, I agree that a master makes sense. I think it, it, depending, of course, on the assignment, but the a master is going to look at everything in what they call in camera, and it's going to decide whether or not it may involve a person's jeopardy, life, and, and otherwise, or not, whether or not a privilege is going to apply or not. The statute itself is kind of broad. If you read it, it starts with whoever willfully and unlawfully conceals, removes, mutilates, obliterates, or destroys or attempted to do so, or with the intent to do so takes and carries away any record, proceeding, map, etc., etc., is a felony. And be fined or, prison, or imprisoned for three years or, or both. So the reality really is, is there sufficient evidence to support any indictment that might come out of this? And from what we hear, and again, I think you said it very well, Frank, the reality is that you hear it from one side or the other, and most people listen to only one source of information. And so they only see one side versus the other. And Judge Stranary is absolutely right. You've got to hear both sides. You don't hear both sides. And that's my complaint, by the way, about the, the January 6th committee. It's a bottom-line, one-sided, uh, with no cross-examination. But the, the matter here is there are so many issues. The broadness of the statute, it's going to end up getting litigated no matter what happens. So I don't think the disclosure do anything more than make them look as bad as they can make them look. Yeah, well, let's put aside the issue of the January 6th committee for, for the moment, because that's uh, certainly a whole whole other hornet's nest. Uh, Judge Cordell, w one of the issues that we've heard a great deal about is the president's ability to declassify material. Uh, president, apparent, president Trump said that he declassified all these documents, gave an executive order that anything that was boxed and sent to Mar-a-Lago was declassified, 
and uh, some of the people that are that are Trump critics and the critics of uh, how the Trump team has handled this, they're essentially saying, well, it's still top secret. It doesn't matter if these nuclear secrets are declassified. That wouldn't affect the potential violations of the law. From where you see it, would that matter if these documents are declassified or not? Well, first of all, we none of us have seen this "quote unquote" standing order that Trump um, allegedly made. So, we, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't even exist. Um, so, the issue becomes, and, and I stress again, we are the four of us. Your guests here, we're all state court judges. We are, we're not experts in, sure. in the federal world, but having listened and read enough about this issue, uh, you know, I, I know we're all competent to, to weigh in. Um, so, what? The, the basic question that always hits me is what is a former president president doing with boxes, hundreds of hundreds of documents that are top secret? What in the world is he doing with them? Uh, so, I mean, that's just th- this just makes no sense to me from the beginning. And, yes, there are federal statutes that state that you can make all the standing orders you want you want. If there are documents that violate certain statutes, federal statutes, then that's a violation, regardless of what you say you have done with respect to declassifying it. Uh, Judge Gray, from a legal perspective, does it matter whether Donald Trump wanted these for his memoirs or if he wanted them as a souvenir or if he wanted them for some other some uh, as a memento of some some sort? Does that affect the the legal rationale behind this uh, this execution of a search warrant? Well, uh, Frank, I'm afraid this is really out of my area as well. Uh, Classified documents uh, should they, they, that should mean something. A president can declassify, but under most circumstances, uh, there's there's some limitations of that. But the answer is I don't know. Uh, but we should get honest information out there. We're we're hearing so much demagoguery mm. on all of this, and the more information and facts we have, the better our country will be. Do you, do you think that uh, you know? Did, did Donald Trump go through his uh, before he left? Was going through boxes saying, I want to keep this. I don't want to take this. You know, I, I, I somehow I don't think that that's something he actually did. So the question may be, did he say, you know, everything in, from this day forward, mm. just pack up. I want to take it. Or did, did he did someone make the decision of what to take and not to take? And did he was he even involved in those decisions? I mean, that's also part of the speculation. There has been a lot of uh, a lot of question and a lot of comparison to both the Sandy Berger situation where uh, Sandy Berger stole uh, some classified documents and tried to conceal them in his pants when he was visiting the National Archives and the Hillary Clinton email investigation, which a lot of uh, conservatives were upset, didn't result in, um, you know, at least a grand jury reviewing the emails and her handling of certain emails here. Uh, Judge Trenary, where do you see this, the Trump investigation? Again, admittedly, none of us know all the facts here, but uh, where do you see this investigation as compared to the Hillary Clinton situation or the Sandy Berger situation? Well, I think Ber- Berger took a plea, I think, to a misdemeanor, right? right? Uh, Hillary, nothing happened to Hillary Clinton, but Comey uh, gave, did that statement right before the election where he's where if you follow the logic, it sounds like he's going to say we're going to indict her. Then he says, but it's not doesn't reach the level. Therefore, we're not and no no prosecutor would uh, do it, uh, do an indictment based on the, these facts. Um, again, was that political or not? Or was, you know, is, is that is that the standard? We, we really we really don't know. And we're still going to be speculating. You know, part of the problem is in as judges. You know, someone comes in with an affidavit for a search warrant or in any other situation or any public servant. We're assuming that everybody is doing their job, that they're acting mm-hmm. in good faith, especially with criminal matters. We want we, we want the, the, the police and whoever's prosecuting to act in good faith. And if you're not acting in good faith, then the whole system collapse collapses. So, you know, irrespective of if this is Donald Trump. Well, you or me getting a parking ticket, um, we, people have to act in good faith. Let, let me ask everybody: Is there a danger with so many of the so many uh, Trump supporters in the country 
questioning the motives of the FBI and questioning how the FBI has handled this. Is there a, a danger that uh, with uh, undermined confidence, at least on the part of some Trump supporters in the FBI, that that could jeopardize future trials that FBI agents need to testify in where the credibility of the FBI agent in those trials is integral to getting a uh, a conviction? Uh, Judge Gray, I know you've been certainly critical of certain excesses of law enforcement agencies before. What's your take on what this means for the future of the FBI and the public's perception of the FBI? Frank, it's extremely important, categorically important for us to have faith in our institutions. I I tried to say earlier, the FBI should not only be neutral, but should be seen as being neutral. We as judges have two mandates. One is to do justice as best we can under the facts and the law and the ethics of our profession. The second is equally important, and that is for people, anyone who cares to believe justice is being done. And today our institutions are under attack, and it's from a lot of lack of transparency. We must get honest information out there to the public. After January 6th, and I know you didn't want to talk about this, but I wrote publicly that we should have a neutral commission look into any Mm. voting irregularities that were alleged and any and whatever happened to cause that riot on January 6th. We need to have it be neutral. We need to have our country respect the process and, and understand the results that are explained to them. And we're getting away from that rather heavily, and it's deeply disturbing to me. Judge Dodell, what do you think? I think that uh, Judge Gray is absolutely right. I think if you're looking at what motivation was involved with Trump's taking the documents, ultimately, to a large degree, it makes no difference. Because if you look at Section 2071 of the uh, of the Act, it makes it very clear. It uses the word "carries away any record, proceeding, map, book, paper, document, or other thing, etc., etc." And any means any. And I don't think the facts are that much in dispute, but I do think that most of this is political. I think if if you look at at history, they all were doing the same thing. If you look at the historical record, Ronald Reagan tried it, and so did Clinton, and nothing ever happened to it. With Hillary Clinton, it's a different story altogether. But the reality is, judges, we have to look at the statute. We have to follow the law. The question that's asked me about future running for Trump running for president, the answer is it's really not undetermined, but I suspect there's two possibilities, one he is or one he isn't. And an argument is being made by many constitutional scholars that you have to look at the Constitution and it succeeds uh, any statutes that are around. So the question really is, does that mean that because the Constitution doesn't have this as a requirement or a prohibition, he can run again? It's an interesting question. A lot of what we're talking about tonight and what all of us talk about is where is this going to go? It's going to be litigated in some court someplace with, a, at the moment, a majority of conservatives. And the reality is he's got some exposure one way or the other. And ultimately, it really doesn't matter what his motive was. Who cares? Uh, Judge Cordell, uh, how do you feel about your uh, fellow Californian jurist responses on that one? Yeah, I I don't uh, agree with them with all due respect to my brethren. Um, Your initial question was about the FBI and has their integrity been so harmed that uh, if they were to be involved in prosecutions, would there be such bias against them that those prosecutions would be tainted? Well, FBI agents generally testify in federal courts. These would be federal trials. And um, a jury is selected, as we all know, by a process of voir dire. That is, both sides have an opportunity to question the individuals who will sit eventually sit on a jury. So I do not think that um, future prosecutions by, that involve the FBI are going to be so tainted because of the, the, um, the search that was done um, and, and handled by the FBI, in this case, of Mar-a-Lago. And one quick comment. Uh, I do disagree with the judges in their uh, some of them in their assessment of the January 6th committee. Uh, that committee, it's not a trial. It, a, a trial is an adversarial um, body where you have two sides going at it. That's not what the January 6th committee is. It is a fact-finding body that was bi- that is bipartisan. So I, I do disagree. I think that 
we are learning so much because of the work of this committee. So I'll, I'll just leave it there, and I, I commend them for their work, and I can't wait for their next hearing. Well, we know that, of course. Uh, can I add something, Frank? I would like to ask the question about the FBI. If you extend it and you include all law enforcement, and my background is in law enforcement. I started out as a deputy district attorney, and the reality is witnesses' credibility make a big difference. And what the people read in the papers or what they hear on social media makes a difference. And they whether you do it in Vaudaire or not, juries don't always tell you the truth. They just don't do that. And the reality here is it may very well taint the organization, whatever it is, whether it's the district attorney's office, federal prosecutors, or whoever. It may taint that testimony to the point where it's not necessarily credible enough to support a, an ultimate determination. That's how I feel about that. So, uh, of course, I, I'm, a, of I'm course. a strong believer. This is Judge Cordell. I'm a strong believer in our jury system. And, yeah, there have been some instances, not many, where I've, I've been uh, not pleased with how juries come out. But I, I, after presiding over dozens and dozens of jury trials, I'm a strong believer in them. And, and I um, so my faith in them stands strong, even with all of this. Um, it's being bipartisan is, is also an issue. Because uh, the, the Trump supporters say that this is the first time in the history of Congress investigating anything where the minority didn't get to select the people they wanted to be on the committee conducting the hearing, and that they ended up with um, uh, Cheney and uh, Ken, Kinsler, Ken, Adam Kinzinger, right? Ken, Ken, Kinzinger, who uh, you know, the, who the, the died in the wool Republicans now consider rhinos. So that you know, so you, you that yeah, if if it was a traditional committee, then you would probably have people maybe more acceptance of what is going on. But it, by doing what they did, they created an issue that didn't need to be created. But but, but they they um, deviated from the prior way these committees were set up. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But go, go ahead, Judge Cordell. One quick moment, and then we're going to take a quick break. There's a fact here that no one's bringing up on this January 6th committee the Republicans were given an opportunity to pick, and Kevin McCarthy said, no, we're just not going to participate. Uh, and they're kicking themselves for that. So it isn't about, oh, they went ahead and just had these two uh, Republicans on it. That's not how it went down at all. Republicans said, we refuse to even be on it and cooperate. They regret that they've done that. So we, we get what we get. But it isn't because there was a deliberate selection and Republicans were kept out. They opted out. Uh, Judge Phillips Stranieri is here. We're talking with Judge Herb Dodell, Judge Ladoris Hazard Cordell, and Judge Jim Gray. An all-star panel. I can't even imagine what I'm going to be charged in terms of legal fees for this hour. This is going to be something. Uh, we'll try and squeeze in some of your questions. If you have questions for our illustrious panel, you can give us a call, 1-800-848-9222. We're going to get into some other legal issues as well, one 800 848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Frank and the Judges, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hear ye, hear ye. The coat's in session, the coat's in session. Now here come the judge, here come the judge. That is Pygmy Markham singing the classic Here Comes the Judge. And uh, if he was going to come out with this song for this particular show, uh, the more appropriate uh, title would be Here Come the Judge Is, because we have. Four retired judges, three Californians, and one New Yorker, all of whom have had distinguished careers on the bench that have uh, gotten them a great deal of acclaim and attention in a positive light over the years. And uh, we're using their collective expertise and wisdom to break down some of the big legal issues of the day. You know, Judge Stranieri, I always wondered, and people have have raised uh, questions about this before, what is the protocol in terms of addressing a former judge? Are you always addressed as judge from the time you retire until the day you die? I, once you're a judge, you uh, always have the uh, referred to as honorable you always have the title of honorable. I think with all elected officials keep that uh, as a title, honorable. Although I should point out that when I used to have Yankee season tickets, 
uh, it came to me and it was addressed as unbearable. <laughs> uh, Judge Gray, what about it? At what point do you become Jim, if any? You know, I've always thought your eminence was an appropriate title, but I so far haven't gotten very far with that. Hey, you happens in my household. Right. You know, it's it's nice that, that you get the respect. We live in a fishbowl. Every every day of my life since I was appointed, I have to be aware that I'm representing the judiciary. If I'm going to go to the hardware store on a Saturday, I make sure that I dress up, dress up better than I would otherwise. It's it's a it's a real wonderful privilege to be able to be a judge and you have to bear it accordingly you know be careful of your humor be careful of your of what you say but uh, it's a just i'm grateful to have been able to been a judge for 25 years uh, uh, judge what about the protocol of addressing a former judge judge cordell how does that uh, how does that affect you on a daily basis the judicial canons which are the rules under which sitting judges have to abide uh, so that you don't never use your judicial position to gain an advantage. So that means getting traffic ticket, cop stops you, well, I'm judge so-and-so. That's totally inappropriate. Um, so you're never to do that. So once I left the bench, I did get asked that question, you know, are you still judge? And I, I say to people, uh, well, professors are still professors after they've retired. Doctors are still doctors after they've retired. Why should it be different for judges? But the one difference I had in, in being a female in the judiciary, and at the time I started, uh, there were very few women on in the bench. Um, and when male judges retired from the bench, most people had no problem always referring to them as judge so-and-so, judge so-and-so, out of respect. And yet when women, and I remember I was questioned, same kind of thing, same situation, um, I would be asked, well, uh, do you still want to be, are you still a judge? So the women, this is again a few years back, were being asked whether or not we were still judges where men were not. Uh, so uh, my rule is that when I speak publicly at events and I'm recognized because I'm a judge, yeah, I'm judge so-and-so. But other than that, uh, we are not, I don't take my position in any way of giving me an advantage. Uh, when I'm out among people I don't know, I never say that I was a judge. If someone else finds that out, that's fine. But I think we, uh, as the judge just before me who spoke said, yes, when you're on the bench, you are a judge all the time, on and off. And to uh, carry yourself uh, with to and able to get respect from everyone and to maintain integrity in, in the institution. But afterwards, Eh, not so much. We can be who we are. The rules, the judicial canons do not apply to us. Uh, so uh, I'm not caught up with the title. Uh, I appreciate that you're calling us judge tonight because that is the subject matter. But if we were not, I had no problem with you calling me by my first name. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier to call everyone judge than try to remember who everyone actually is. Uh, judge Dodell, how about you? Do uh, uh, you make your, your, your family and friends call you judge? Well, let me answer this way. There's no rule either way with regard to the use of the title after you retire. I tell people I'm a retired judge. I make it very clear that I'm not on the bench and that this is what I was doing before. And I think I think it was Jim Gray who said, the fact is when you start out as a judge, you stay as a judge. You don't change. You're either an engineer or you're not. And the fact is nothing really changes. And in terms of the use of the title... I think it's a matter of respect. You would call a doctor doctor. You wouldn't call him Harry or Jane or Mary or anything else. You call them by their title, whatever title they had when they started. And there's no reason that they shouldn't be afforded that. Uh, I, I don't want to call it luxury. It's not a luxury. But it should be afforded that respect. No reason why they shouldn't be. Uh, let me ask all of you about uh, the other big uh, sort of politically oriented case that's uh, that's getting a lot of news and then we'll try and hit some other issues as well and uh, answer some of the folks that are uh, that are calling in to talk with you guys and that has to do with this grand jury in uh, in Georgia this uh, grand jury is investigating the 2020 election results and the attempt a uh, possible attempt to uh, subvert the electors that were selected in in Georgia and just yesterday a federal judge ordered Senator Lindsey Graham's legal team to produce a list of questions that a grand jury investigating efforts to overturn the elections can ask 
the senator. Rudy Giuliani testified there. He said publicly that the uh, grand jury was very cordial with him. The prosecutors were very nice. And apparently there's a lot of other bold-faced names that may be called before this uh, Georgia grand jury. Uh, Judge Gray, where do you think this Georgia investigation goes? And how do you think uh, the uh, bigger names that we've heard here have been handling the subpoena issue? Well, Again, Frank, this is kind of out of my area. I think it's, again, critically important that we have faith in our institutions and we should be transparent with regard to our investigations and and get as much honest information out to the public as we can. But we also have to be sure not to prejudge these things. And it's, again, I use the word demagogue. It's just so easy to, to demagogue in this world that we're so tribal at this point in so many ways that if you disagree with me that you're evil and I'm righteous and and we need leadership to say wait a minute you know there's a difference between the word discuss and the word argue and the discussion means basically that you're you're relying on facts you're inquiring you're trying to use rational thought and an argument basically is on emotion and we need to use a lot more discussion it's okay to be dis- to disagree with people it's not okay to be disagreeable Uh, Judge Cordell. The Georgia grand jury is looking at um, Lindsey Graham to determine whether or not he improperly influenced um, the election. And um, he has invoked the Constitution speech and debate clause. It's Article 1, Section 6, Clause 1 of the Constitution. So people should understand really what this is about. He's basically saying that he is protected from having to testify before the grand jury because of this clause. And this clause basically gives, they call it a privilege from arrest during their attendance at any sessions of the House, and they are protected for any speech or debate in either House. So that's where it comes from. And it also protects members of Congress from civil suits related to whatever their official duties are. Lindsey Graham has claimed he was attempting to understand the method for which different states examine ballots. If you believe that, okay, then that's what he's, why he's saying he made a phone call to the Secretary of State in Georgia. So the grand jury is looking into this, and now we have, and that's the state, Georgia, but now we have the federal court weighing in, and a federal court, district court judge, that's a trial court judge, Uh, denied Lindsey Graham's bid to avoid testifying. Um, And that judge said that the Georgia prosecutors had shown extraordinary circumstances and a special need for his testimony. That's a federal judge. So then Lindsey Graham appealed, and it's now the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals that has granted Graham's request to block the subpoena that would compel him to go before the grand jury, saying that the prosecutors had to sort out whether Graham is protected from answering certain questions. So they have to go through specific questions and find out whether or not the Constitution speech and debate clause applies. So once again, I, I think lay people, folks who are not really caught up in the legal system, probably look at all this and say all that this legal system does is delay, delay, delay. And, and it really is true. It's true that uh, when people don't want things to happen, that the legal system provides a way to just kind of delay and delay. It is lawful. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're a litigator that you wouldn't use kinds of tools to either drag out, prolong, or end things. But that's really what's happening in Georgia. So Lindsey Graham is on a roll. Now he's at the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, and there's just more delay. In the end, I believe he will be compelled to testify. Uh, Judge Dodell, how do you see this Georgia situation uh, well, coming together? I see, it from a, I, I see it from a political lens. I think that Trump has his greatest potential liability in Georgia for the demographics and a variety of other local political reasons. I think ultimately the best shot anybody has against him, if they're looking to take one, and they all certainly are, is going to be in Georgia. And I think there's a fairly decent likelihood because much of the factual evidence, as opposed to legal evidence, most of the factual admissible evidence is that all the things that are alleged, the phone call, I want 12,000 more votes, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's not with dispute. It's facts are pretty much undisputed. 
I think that ultimately, and I want to contact, I want to comment on Judge Cordell's comment about the January 6th committee. Just one line, and that is, I think of it as akin to a grand jury proceeding, even though it's not a criminal proceeding. And so, in the grand jury, it's the same thing: one side, prosecutor only, and that's not fair to the other side until there's an actual litigation. But with response, with respect to other situations. I think you're absolutely right. I have seen the stall, dodge, and delay for years and years. In fact, I once gave a speech to the state bar, and it was called The Only Float in Town Isn't at the Rose Parade, because that's what a lot of companies do. They float it as long as they can. Hopefully, people will either die, go away, can't afford it, or whatever will come along in their lives. But the reality here is, and I use the word reality, is that I think that the Georgia grand jury and the prosecutor there is going to get an indictment. Judge, Judge Trenary, it was another New York judge who said that a, a grand jury could indict a ham sandwich. Uh, how do you see the uh, Georgia grand jury playing out here? Do you think indictments are likely? I, they have to figure out. Uh, I don't think we know enough of what actually was done. I mean, is calling up someone and saying you can't find 12,000 votes or whatever he said? Is that sufficient inf- uh, interference in the process to warrant being indicted as opposed to I'm like really uh, angry about what happened and I'm, I'm spouting off and maybe, you know, maybe it's inappropriate. I don't know. You know, did, was any were any steps taken to carry out finding 12,000 votes, you know, by going finding ballots and starting marking? I, I don't know. But it, it's it, it, I think it's more political than legal. All right, we're going to continue in a moment. Judge Trenary is here. Judge Jim Gray is here. Uh, Judge Ladoris Hazard Cordell is here. Judge Herb Dodell is here. We have an all-star panel, and I keep saying I'm going to take your calls. When we come back, we really will. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I'm Frank Morano, uh, Judge Phillips Trenary, um, New York retired judge. Joining me in studio, Judge Herb Dodell, Judge Ladoris Cordell, and Judge Jim Gray, all of the state of California, retired judges there, joining me remotely. Uh, Some of you have been elected. Some of you have been appointed. I'm curious if uh, any of the four of you have a strong feeling about what judicial selection process produces the best judges. Do you think it's better in general for judges to be elected or to be appointed? Uh, Judge, I voted for you before, so uh, we'll begin with you. To paraphrase Winston Churchill, uh, the election of judges is the worst way of picking them except for everything else. (laughs) Judge Cordell, what do you think? Um, I have recently published a book called Her Honor, and in it I have a chapter called Judges for Sale. I got on the bench both ways, first by appointment by the governor, and then when I wanted to move up, by election. And my view is that judicial elections um, should be abolished entirely. There should be judicial selection done by merit selection commissions that are bipartisan and transparent. And the reason I'm opposed to judicial elections are two. One is that it costs us a lot of money, and the money is generally raised from lawyers, who some of whom end up appearing in the very courts of the judges for whom they donated money. The second is that studies have shown, and I write about this in the book, that during elections, that the elections affect, adversely impact and affect judges' decision-making, that judges tend to, to, in criminal cases, tend to sentence more harshly to make decisions that make them look really tough um, in order to ensure their election. So I'm opposed entirely, and I speak from someone who has gone through an election and won. 
So I do know of what I speak, and I, I'm really advocating for getting rid of them entirely. Judge Gray, what do you think, election or appointment or both? Um, it's a tough question. I, I agree. I think that probably retention elections are okay, such that you vote as we do on appellate courts here in Orange County, in uh, California, you vote to retain or not to retain such and such a justice. And I think that's probably the best way. Otherwise, I agree with the other comments. Uh, we don't want to get politics into judging, and I fear that it can and sometimes does. Uh, Judge Dodell, what do you think? I don't think either one of them works. First of all, as far as elections are concerned, it's right. Judge Cordell is absolutely right. Putting up the money to run. One of my colleagues cost them fifty thousand dollars to mm. run against some no-name person. The problem with election is, and I get more calls every year just before the election. They say to me, "I see all these judges are running. I don't know any of them. Who should I vote for?" And you know what? I don't know any of them either. And the bottom line is, people vote by demographics. Actually, yes. yeah. you recognize the name in New York. The other way is the other way is even worse. There used to be a guy here, in fact, several guys here, who had great influence with the governors. And if you wanted to be a judge, you called or you made a donation, and he made the phone call, and you became a judge. We have a committee and a commission that does some slight investigation, but I don't think it's enough. I think Judge Cordell is absolutely right. I think we should have a non-binding, or maybe binding, neutral commission, bipartisan to determine the qualifications of these judges. And if you know anything about the federal system, you know how these judges, some of these appellate judges get appointed, they get interviewed by the Federalist Society. It's a group of lawyers that have a very conservative approach. And there's the liberal groups the same way. I don't think either one of them works, personally. The problem with the appointed system in a lot of states is that the politics is then in the back room. Mm-hmm. In the elected system, the politics is out in the front. The public's involved. Um, it, it is, you know, it's not. It's, it's never non-political. Uh, let me try and run through as many of these questions as uh, as we can here. Uh, for those of you guys that are on the line, just so we can get through as many questions as possible, just try to keep your questions brief. Let me begin with Ray in New Jersey. Hello, Ray. Ray Cordell. Yes. Go ahead. You hear me? Yes. Go ahead, Ray. Okay. I'd like to ask Judge Cordell if the January 6th committee is so on the up and up, why did she leave out the fact that uh, I believe Kevin McCarthy wanted Jim Jordan and another guy on the panel, but Pelosi said no? Judge Cordell? Well, sure. There's a good reason why Pelosi said no, because they were there. You've seen their behavior. If you watch their behavior, the two people you mentioned, they're obstructionists. They want to make sure that nothing gets done. And I would have absolutely done the same thing. Uh, Felix is in Queens. Felix, what's your question? Yeah, my name is Felix J. Torres. I'm calling you from New York, Richard Queens. Let me tell you something. The legal system and the law does not work. And the constitutions of the United States of America, that's a mess. That doesn't exist. Let me tell you something. Felix, uh, before we get on the whole, Felix, hang on, hang on. Um, You know, before we get on the whole rant, I I can't tell you all, all, all judges how often I hear from people expressing exactly that sentiment. They've been wronged in some way. They perceive they've been wronged either in a civil proceeding, a divorce a divorce case, family law, maybe even a criminal case. And it, it does cause them to lose faith in the legal system. What do you say to somebody like a Felix or the thousands of others who might say the same so, thing? The biggest problem with the legal system is that people don't have legal representation. Too many people are unrepresented or they don't have the ability to hire a competent lawyer, and therefore the system not, not going to work for them. Uh, Judge Gray? That's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I disagree in a large sense. We have public defenders, and not the ones that I've encountered, and that's quite a few of them, are dedicated, hardworking. Yes, they're overworked, but I think that they give pretty good representation. But again, life is complicated. I'll go back to our Constitution, though, and say it's the greatest document ever written by the hand of man, and we need to abide by our Constitution. It's what's brought us good things so far, and we're getting away from it too much. Uh, Judge Cordell. Sure. Um, I I call our criminal legal system a legal system, not a criminal justice system, uh, because of the disproportionate number of uh, 
people of color and poor people who are incarcerated. It's called mass incarceration. And I believe that I'm always hopeful that we need to do a lot more to make the system to get it to where point of justice. And the last thing is that this Constitution and all of these wonderful principles um, that say that you have a right to a jury trial and a right to due process, all of those are wonderful, fantastic principles that were developed by property white men who did not intend for those principles to apply to women, to poor people, and certainly not to people of color. So our challenge today for judges and for everyone is to make those principles apply equally and fairly to everyone. Judge Dodell, what do you think? Well, first of all, I can tell a fast story. I was in court wielding over what they call unlawful detainer cases, and it was a famous NBA basketball star was being foreclosed from his $7 million house. He was unrepresented. And I said to him, do you have a lawyer? And this is a major guy. He had all the rings, the whole deal. He said, I don't have a lawyer. And I read the papers, obviously, beforehand, and I saw that he had a potential defense. He really did. If he had known about it, he might have done something. So what I did is I continued it for two weeks. I said, I think you should get yourself a lawyer. I can't give legal advice, of course. And he came back in two weeks, no lawyer. And, of course, he was evicted, ultimately. And the bottom line was if he had a lawyer, a competent lawyer, things might have been very different. And I saw so many times, that's why I wrote my book, as a matter of fact, mm. is because so many people are unrepresented. Whoever it was that said the problem is unrepresentation or lack of representation or whatever is absolutely right. The public has no clue as to what goes on in the legal system, only what they see on television. Eddie in Nassau County, quick question. Go ahead. Yes, good morning. Uh, Your Honors, uh, what do you the term or in the practical application of the law, the term innuendo, and how does that apply to different cases? I'll take the answer off the air. Thank you. Any, anybody want to address that, the question of innuendo? I'm not even sure exactly uh, what the question is, to be honest. Anybody want? No? Okay. Well, everybody, I think was... I'm not sure what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, no. right, let, let, me, let me add something quickly, that back in 1992, as a sitting trial court judge, I held a press conference, which judges do not do, stating my firm conclusion that the war on drugs, drug prohibition was not working, and this was cause of enormous problems in our society wrongly, putting many too many people in prison. This was a political issue that's still going on. Judges can't do too much about it, but these are things that judges can stand up and should stand up and and spread the alarm. Uh, That's Judge Jim Gray. You could check out his website at uh, judgejimgray.com. We've been talking with uh, Judge Cordell as well. You could go to judgecordell.com. Judge Frenary, you're still without a website, right? Yes. And uh, you could hear Judge uh, Herb Dodell on uh, on the radio frequently. I was fortunate enough to be a guest on the show last night. Judges, thank you all for coming on. I hope we can do this again soon. Thank pleasure. You. Our pleasure. Uh, in the words of uh, the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.